0: The following program is designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. You should always consult with your physician before starting any treatment.
1: We will be talking with our friend Cameron about shame today on Drinks and Trinks.
0: Welcome to Drinks and Shrinks, where we invite you to lay back, relax, and join us for an informal discussion on mental health with practicing therapists. My name's Ingo Weigel.
1: I'm Don Decker.
0: And today we have our friend Cameron joining us, who is also a licensed therapist. How are you today, Cameron?
2: I'm fine. Good to be here.
0: Yes, we're, we're excited to have you um, talk about shame. Before we get into that, do you want to give us a little bit of uh, background about yourself? Like, what, what do you do in this field?
2: Well, I'm, I'm older in age, but younger in number of years in the practice. Uh, I was actually looking at a calendar and recognizing that uh, now in May will be 10 years since I finished my degree. Wow, so been in the field just a, I consider it a little while. still feel like I'm doing a lot of learning, but I suppose we all do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and do you have an area of focus that you, that you like to practice in?
2: Yeah, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and that is my passion. Um, particularly working in the area of emotionally focused therapy for couples. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also see probably at least half of my clients are individuals. And, um, though I got my LMFT, I also did all the schooling for an LCPC as well.
1: Oh, did you? Yeah. That's a lot of work.
2: Um, yeah, especially when I jammed it all into two years. Wow. <laughs> you really like school. <laughs>
1: That's a form of self-harm, I think, in some, Well,
2: in I lived overseas at the time, and as long as I had stopped all of that and moved back to the States just for the, to do the program, I was basically almost unemployed. So it was either get it now or get it never, push through it, you know. So jam summers and semesters and wow. every little space open so that I could get both of those, uh, as much of the educational piece as I could.
1: Do you think you can briefly summarize what EFT is?
2: <clears throat> um, emotionally Focused Therapy for Couples um, is, was developed by Sue Johnson, um, who had been studying his practice around focus on emotions um, he was her... Um, Who is he? Les Greenberg is a professor, researcher, um, I believe University of Washington. Um, I might be wrong about that, but it did her, her graduate studies under him and saw an applicability of what he was teaching around looking at emotions not as something that would be an impediment to growth, but actually as rich information that would tell us about where people were at. Um, So looking at emotions really as a a, a positive quality that should be incorporated and focused on, actually, in the resolution of especially relationship issues, since that's where the the hot buttons happen is when the emotions kick in and start banging against each other.
1: And this is actually, I mean, we don't have to talk about this too, but this is Mm -hmm. actually a really interesting thing to me because... Mm -hmm. Emotions are typically in counseling, even though I think people who don't know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not really the thing that we are directly addressing. It's mm-hmm. usually the thoughts and the actions that we're at. So for example, cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. approaches. Mm-hmm. And so what makes this kind of unique is the idea that you're focusing on the emotions when you're working with couples. And this is a very effective method yes. for working with couples.
2: Yeah. Today, in terms of research study, it is the gold standard for working with couples' conflict resolution. Um Uh, There is a CBT model for working with couples um, and is also um, highly effective. Um, What we found over time is that teaching people to be able to cope with their emotions and connect at an emotional level um, produces a, a relational shift rather than a cognitive shift. And that over time, the research actually shows that couples who have been through a full process of EFT actually continue to get better even after they have completed their course of therapy. Which
1: uh-huh. makes sense, because yeah. the sense of growth together is then developing.
2: Right, right. It's hmm. much more focused on, I always tell my clients, my client is your relationship. It's not either one of you.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Um why don't we start thinking about shame uh, to the, the subject of our conversation here? Today. Yeah, and
0: I imagine this plays a big part in your couple's work in that, you know, shame gets activated between people and in situations. And, you know, I'll, we, we want to give you the floor to kind of guide us through this, like the way you want to discuss this, because this is a pretty broad topic. But um, like, how do you want to how do you want to start with?
2: Well, you know, I think, you know, I came on to shame both because I'm a human and have certainly had my share of shame. Oh,
0: you are? Experience. Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah. yeah. As opposed I to know... John, who's an android. <laughs> I'm a robot. Yeah. <laughs> That's
1: a running joke through my whole life. No. He, thinks of he like... has no emotions. And so... you're laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> Your EFT right? would never
0: work on John. <laughs> yes. You cannot it, get past it this. It would
2: be more challenging. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's a very nice way of saying that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, would maybe feel like doing EFT with Spock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all right. I can't
1: wait yes. till artificial intelligence takes over. Because I'll just be with my kind. Yeah.
2: Yes. Well, so of course experienced it uh, at a personal level before anything, and then um, I was a pastor for many years, and I know that a lot of people look at religion as the source of a lot of shame in the world and certainly it is and i would say that i i grew up in kind of an epicenter of that in terms of my uh religious my parents religious background but i have learned that in that context um that is quite frankly an abuse of the religious power and Mm. that in fact um grace which is firmly grounded in in Christian tradition is, in fact, one of the greatest sources of healing for shame. And, um, and that revolutionized my own life around shame issues and then my outlook on the world and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And, and it led me into working for many years with uh, 12-step recovery groups. Oh, yeah. Um, and as you can imagine, a lot of the things that would lead someone into a 12-step recovery group is largely shame-based <clears throat> yes yeah so i don't know if you guys had direct contact with um 12-step groups
0: uh, i have yes. definitely yeah, yeah I, I was part of an Al-Anon group for three and a half years you know, yeah, some time ago and I think through that process I realized that those types of groups it doesn't matter the, what they're trying to specifically address. I think everyone could go through a round of 12 steps every once in a while in their Absolutely. lifetime because it kind of forces you to deal with the shame and the guilt mm-hmm. and there's a there's an empowerment to it where you know like you know making amends which is yeah. difficult and that's yeah. a way of you know overcoming shame and I remember going like calling people that I hadn't talked to in 25 years and they're like what you, dude well like that's not a big deal. I'm like, I know, but I need to, I need to tell you that, 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 that time in college when like, I need to, and it was like, a, yep. it was empowering, you know, and it allowed me to yep. let go of, you know, a lot of that guilt and shame that I had felt about things.
2: So. Yes. Cause you could live through some of those experiences and the other person isn't even thinking about it anymore. Yep. But the shame factor is still going on in your head. Mm-hmm. You're still maybe beating yourself up about what you did or what kind of a person could I, am I, if I do that kind of thing to someone. And I I will often say to people who have not experienced it, I think people who experienced 12 step recovery are, they pretty easily understand this, but that 12 step recovery groups, and there's more than 200 different kinds of them addressing more than 200 different issues, um, that same structure. And I say the groups are not about treating, alcohol or drugs or overeating or whatever they're actually shame recovery groups what they most do for people who participate in them is heal their sense of shame if you think about you sit down in a group and the first two things that you say are your name and the thing that you're most ashamed of in the world
0: wow that's a good point yeah, I haven't thought of it like that. I, I never, yeah, I never put that together. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, even in the al group, which is for, you know, friends, family of, yep. of people who struggle. Like, that's part of it. Like, my name is so-and-so, and I, I'm, you know, struggling with a, a loved specific loved one who has problems drinking. And, yep. and that is a source of, wow, okay, yep. I never put that together. Yep. And that's why it works, huh?
2: Yeah. When you think about, you know, we'll dig into this, but, you know, shame... It's interesting because right now, in popular culture, um, no matter when anyone might be listening to this podcast, Brene Brown has been putting out New York Times bestseller list books one after another yeah. for the last uh, 10, 15 years. And um, her original lecture on basically her trajectory as a shame researcher, as she identifies herself, Last I checked was something over like 10, 12 million views. You know, it's one of the most viewed in history. Uh, That little 20 minute lecture. The TED Talk. Yeah, her TED Talk. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of which are are extremely helpful. And she gives her history as saying that as a social worker, she's a professor, she's a doctor in the social work uh, school at. Uh, university of texas in houston and she was going into studying connection because as a social worker she understood that we as humans are made social creatures and that we are made for connection and we best function in connection
1: Mm -hmm. well i gotta write this down as an android i'm still learning yes yes keep going
2: yeah uh, however i have seen you with your wife and i have seen <laughs> you with your dog yeah and i am here to tell you you have pretty strong connections no for an don't tell them okay <laughs> okay
1: but anyways you're saying about Renee but if Brown. you think
2: about it, even these days um, it's been in the news the um it last week tonight um john oliver with john oliver just did an episode like two weeks ago three weeks ago on isolation uh, solitary confinement yeah, as a form that. of punishment and the psychological scarring that goes on,
0: yeah,
2: if you think about us taking the meanest, toughest, strongest, most antisocial people in the world, and the punishment that we use is to keep them away from people,
0: right like
2: you'd think these people would not want to be with people, and yet they are still human
0: mm-hmm.
2: and right. the lack of human contact is actually experienced as a punishment. Mm-hmm. A control factor mm-hmm. kind of blows your mind
1: it, it's fascinating to me because like as i've gotten older it's only becoming more and more apparent that the greatest feature that humans have is their sociability. Mm-hmm. you know and i think i was even i don't know if we we're um, recording before or not but i think there's very few animals that are more social than humans it's like mm-hmm. throughout all of our existence mm-hmm. we've depended on one another to grow the crops to protect mm-hmm. another one to watch the children or whatever it might be And just having that aloneness for, like, you know, a few days is scarring. It's traumatizing.
2: Absolutely. So, as a social worker, she wanted to study connection. And yet, as soon as she started studying connection, she kept bumping up in her interviews against something that was detracting from connection. And people were bringing it up spontaneously Her form of research is um, qualitative research, which basically means that you collect through this kind of interaction, like a spontaneous conversation. Mm -hmm. She has in her mind questions that she's researching, but people were bringing to her in a discussion about connection, their disconnection. And she actually put on hold her study, her research on connection to figure out what this thing was and discovered that it was shame. Shame is what was driving disconnection.
1: Hmm. Okay. Could you separate shame from guilt?
2: Sure. Um, the, the most common way of making that distinction among therapists, among you know, self-help authors, whoever, is that guilt focuses on behaviors while shame focuses on your view of self. So, Bernay would say, it's the difference between I did something bad or I am something or someone bad. Mm -hmm. So, it's a personalization that views the defect not in the behavior, but in the person. Mm -hmm. And typically in yourself.
1: Like, I messed up versus I'm a failure. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, a a person who's guilty can still see themselves
0: as good. But someone who who feels immense shame... They can't, they, they almost can't see that in themselves. It's, it's like, no, a, no. Oh,
2: and, well. and what's, I mean, as therapist, I'm sure you've had this experience, someone who has, who has embedded their sense of shame, I call it shame as a trait and mm-hmm. not just as a, as an emotion, but they've come to have that view of self that working model of themselves in their own heads mm-hmm. is that they are, again, to use Brene's words, unworthy of love and belonging, that they are flawed, that they are defective. Mm-hmm. And when we work with them as clients, you'll find people they bring that in. I had a client this week who said, I was talking about something completely different, and I said, well, I know you all think I'm an idiot, but... And then he went on. And the people he was talking to said, what What did you just say? Where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And their interruption made him stop and think about it because it just felt so natural to him to reveal this self-talk that he sees himself as an idiot. Yeah. And what do you do when you start finding people... Who throughout the course of their day, every little thing is being seen through that toxic lens. Mm -hmm. And you're like, dude, I was not thinking that about you. Where did that? That did not come from me. That came from you. And you get this like glimpse through the crack of what life inside looks like.
0: So it's it's uh, the way you describe it it's almost like a wall an invisible wall between that person and everyone else that no one no one else can see but they see it. So there's like they can never actually connect with people it, it, genuinely because there's just this filter that everything they do is bad and they have you know they have no worth. And, and, and is, a, lot, a lot of times the way you describe it is like they no one in their life might even be aware of it.
2: It they might not be and it is in some ways invisible, but um, I have a friend whose wife threw a birthday party for him. Um, They were actually only engaged at the time, and she threw a birthday party for him. And the birthday party, she wrote us all in secret ahead of time and asked us to write down all of the positive qualities and attributes that we saw in what was her boyfriend, later fiance, later husband and bring it. And we put them in a jar and had him read them and try to figure out who had written it about him. And I was like, dang, man, give that girl an MFT. Like before she even, she didn't even have to go to school. She had figured out from her relationship that he has this negative view of self mm-hmm. that just keeps playing out over and over and over and she just wanted to drown him in compliments and to reshape that inner working model mm-hmm. i it, it sometimes they're actually very unaware of it they've swum in that water for so long that it's like asking a fish what it's like to be wet yeah and they just don't know any other reality they don't and honestly, I will tell you, that's how I grew up. It was self-revelatory for me when uh, I was salutatorian of my class. I was on all the sports teams. All You would never have looked and imagined this kid has self-image issues. I remember participating in school events and afterwards you'd have like parents mingling around and in my head silently no one knew until a couple years ago i'm doing my own work i would walk around among the parents and other students and such and i would count the compliments in my head they were like water like for a thirsty soul Mm -hmm. somebody'd say hey you did a really good job tonight one hey, well, good job tonight. Two. And I was counting those things in my head. That's how desperate I was for that Mm. sense of approval.
1: And how did you respond to those compliments?
2: For me, they put out the fire for just a little bit. Probably the next day I needed some more. Mm. (laughs) But for me, that uh, that was a drink of fresh
1: water. I think something I've seen with a lot of people is when they have that rigid belief that they are a failure mm-hmm. is that they will then resist any compliment because it doesn't agree with their own perspective absolutely absolutely and i think like part of the challenge for them is they have to learn how do i even accept this because it's so yep um discordant with yep. their actual view of themselves
2: yep. someone who had a big influence on my life during that same time um actually later in during uh, my college and uh, first master's program Um, I I was in weekly contact with him. And he had severe trauma, which also is a huge producer of shame. Because shame can be either things that you... Evoked by things that you have done or things that you have suffered. Mm. And in this case, he came from a terribly traumatic um, family background. Mm -hmm. And he... You could not pay him a compliment Every time you paid him a compliment, you would—he would distract it. He'd talk about, "Well, you know how, how the Cubs doing this year?" And you're like, um, "I just said that you know the lecture you gave was extremely impactful, very helpful to my life." Yeah, and what about that weather? You know, uh huh. And if you insisted, he would literally turn around and walk away. And after doing therapy for some years. He revealed to me that in his head, if you insisted on complimenting him, where he went in his head was the conviction that I was trying to manipulate him for some kind. It was a false compliment in an attempt to manipulate because I wanted something from him.
0: So you didn't trust anything positive. Did not trust anything positive. Absolutely So I have to ask, how does this happen to someone? How do people become so shameful that this, this kind of thing, you know, is that something that happens early in life or does it happen? Could it happen anytime or most easily happens in
2: when you're developing your original view of self. Okay. So as a child, I see, you know, um, I remember someone saying to me many years ago, and it has stuck with me all these years, that before there is a view of self, there is a view from others. That you learn to see yourself as others shine a mirror in front of your face. But if the mirror that they're holding up in front of you is a mirror that's distorted by their own dysfunction or pain or abuse or whatever, you know, we often talk in therapy about hurt people, hurt people, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're holding up a mirror, you think about the power of words and a dad looking at his son and going, you worthless piece of shit. You're never going to be worth anything. And that's actually what happened with with this person I'm referring to. He was a little kid, like three or four, he figures. His mom was sewing in the living room the rest of his siblings he had big family Mm
0: -hmm.
2: the rest of the siblings he was the youngest and the siblings were in the room watching television and he walked over to his mom and he looked at her and he said mom do you love louis do you love me and she today he can look back on it and say i'm sure it was just you know sarcasm but she said Hey, kids, Louis wants to know if anybody loves him. Let's tell him. And they started singing a little ditty. Nobody loves Louie. Nobody loves Louie. Wow.
0: And he says,
2: as he remembers it, he did not have any reaction.
0: Nothing? He, he didn't cry or laugh? He
2: asked or... a question. He got his answer. Ridicule. He knows it is ridicule now. He thought yeah. it was God's gospel truth at the time. That no one loved him? That no one loved him. He asked a question. He got his answer. The view of the the mirror that they held up to him said, no one loves you, Louis. And he took that in as gospel truth.
1: My personal supposition is that this is how some people develop things like narcissistic personality disorder and things mm. like that, which is mm-hmm. like don't trust you, all you guys are there to hurt me. I just need to reinforce how I feel about myself, too. or Maybe other different forms of struggles that people have. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think the more common forms, like feeling very anxious, feeling very depressed, feeling very angry at the world because I can't trust anyone because they're just going to use it against me. We talked about,
0: I think, last show about narcissistic injuries, I think. Right. That Hmm. seems that that is a prime example
1: of of said narcissistic injuries. Makes total sense. Yep. Yep that's so why i think it's it's easier to have compassion for these kinds of people when you understand of like oh my god when you were a kid they said right. that to you right you know and not, not that everyone who has antisocial or narcissistic personality disorder or whatever it might be right has this struggle but i think there's oftentimes this this sense of like what people are presenting is very different from what they're suffering with underneath yeah maybe it's even the case too especially when it comes to shameful emotions of like i'm going to portray like i actually know what i'm doing Yep. But I have no idea what I'm doing yep. or portraying like I can, yep. you know, be a loving father, even though I know I can't be a loving father. Yeah. You just made me realize something in telling that story that
0: I have a client I was, I'm not working with currently, but that I was for some time and, and something that his father had said to him when he was a teenager, um, so subtle, yet I think evoked such, he said, it's just not that hard. Why can't you do that? you know it was regarding like something of regarding his schoolwork, because his father apparently was extremely intelligent and this this gentleman also extremely intelligent but was having a hard time and and he kept bringing that up and randomly over the course of our time together and we tried to boil down like why was and i think it speaks it's it sounds like immense shame around not being good enough or not being smart enough like his father and he took that and ran with it yeah that's how he sees the world
1: You know, and I'm wondering if for you, you heard that and you're like, yeah, but for him, he heard that and he interpreted it as, and that means I'm a failure and I can't gospel. Receive. Like mm-hmm. you were just saying that, right. you
0: know, he's not smart. His yep. father said he, that's not that hard. You. Right. Short of saying you idiot, which he didn't right. say, but that's kind of what he was implying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and now this person has struggled a lifetime of like failures Yep, that as soon as that happens, it's catastrophic. And he, yep. I think he goes back emotionally to that shame and it shuts down any.
1: For months, he'll be completely unable to do things, you know. And I'm guessing with this person, too, like, they didn't even know that they were talking to themselves in that way of, like, I no. hate myself or I can't right. achieve anything, too. But when they say it, it's just like, yeah, my dad said this. And what you hear is one thing. But what they hear, I'm going to guess, is a very yeah. different message that they're not even able to fully say. And I think it's part of our job is <laughs> to, be, to be like, so when that happened, mm-hmm. what was going on inside of you, you know. Mm-hmm. But obviously, we, I... I feel like in my job, I'm hearing hundreds of these things <laughs> all day long, and I yeah. usually miss most of them, because mm. yeah. they're very difficult to catch, like, why would that sit with that person in that kind of way, mm-hmm. you know, but they interpret it in some kind of core way that isn't just like, yep. like we said earlier, guilt is like, I messed up, or I should be able to do this homework, versus right. like, there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Yep. yep.
0: Do, do all beings feel shame? Like, do dogs, cats, uh, I mean, what, what? you ever yelled at your dog? i have and I, I it seems like shame but is that what it is like i'm like you know our dog's name is cooper and he'll sometimes he'll eat one of the kids i'm like cooper what and he'll just be like you know he'll he'll put his head down and his tail down and is, is that shame or is that something else or
2: i'm i'd love to know i mean yeah. it sure looks it. it looks like a perfect representation of what i feel when i'm in shame right that if someone if someone was shaming me that's what I would look mm. like
1: behaviorally, right? Yeah. But then dogs probably also think that when we leave to go to work, they're like, "How many butts is John going to go sniff today?" You know? Which is like not at all accurate, you know. So it's it's impossible Thank to really. Thank
2: goodness, know. is those of us who spend our day around you. Yeah, <laughs> right. that'd
0: be weird, John, if you started doing that. Yeah. Come on, get away! Stop spraying it! Spraying me with the bottle. <laughs> yeah.
1: apples, that sour apples. Yeah. <laughs> <have> for, <laughs> right in the face. Just like get Cooper. Away. Me and Cooper are both ashamed. Yeah. But you know, there's. I think it's there's no way of. Truly knowing, but I mean, mm. the best it seems guess like it. seems to be. Right. But I would imagine, especially dogs, because they've been uh evolve to really come with humans yeah. and you know like they're one of the few animals that'll look us in the eye mm-hmm. when we sit and we talk to them too. or if he eats, mm-hmm. eats
0: food i'm like did you eat this food and he'll like look he won't look at me he'll sit there and he'll mm-hmm. look away and he's just like, <laughs> like his eyeballs will come back just to make sure if i'm still looking at him and if i am he'll just keep turning away and it's like that's weird and that's a coping mechanism yeah it, you it's know? like is yeah. that a, is that what ha- do humans do that in a sense absolutely. like absolutely okay yeah yeah there
2: are really two patterns of avoidance there there are some people who honestly they have no perception of their own shame mm-hmm. which could be because they are so used to it like the toxic self-talk just they don't ever even think about it because it's true they are jerks it is easy for everyone else and it's not easy for me mm-hmm. I really am ugly. I, of course that explains my life, you know? And so they don't, they are in some ways unaware of it though. Oftentimes if they have anyone around them who loves them at all, someone will go, well, 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 hold on. You know, I'll sometimes say to my clients, you know, I just want to punch you right now. I just want to say <laughs> like, and, and they're like, what? Well, cause there is a part of you that just called this other part of you by a really horrible name. And I don't want to, I want to protect this part of you and I want to punch that other part. Cause that part's being a bully to you right now. And I need you to get mad at that part. He does not have the right to talk to you that way. And they're like, Oh, like, Nobody has ever stuck up for me like that before. And I'm like, I, I make it like real in your face, like even threatening like verbal or physical violence to show him how significantly I think, how significant I think this is mm-hmm. and how much I just want to jump all over it. And they're like, well, I don't think I deserve to be protected like that. And I go, that's the problem. hmm Oh, uh, uh-huh. like, and you, I mean, you know, a lot of times as therapists, we're taught to kind of match the mood in the room. Yeah. But there are times when I think it is very healing to not match the room, the mood in the room, to challenge the mood in the room. I see. So
0: you, well, you, you, you're matching the bully's intensity with counter energy, it seems like, in that I,
2: I don't think of it as the bully. I think of it as the mama bear. Oh, the mama bear.
0: I'm I'm the mama bear
2: who is protecting one part of this person from the other part of this person. If we were to think of him, that there is an innocent, loving, helpful, healthy person who has been beat up and scarred by life's events they have now become his own self-talk. Okay. And so if we were to use, you know, what sometimes is called parts language, there's a part of me that would like to go, but there's a part of me that wants to stay home, you know? Yeah. So sometimes we can think of ourselves and kind of have an internal dialogue uh, in our heads between these parts. And there is a part of him that is beating up on this other part of him. So part of him is the bear and part of him is the victim. And I'm the, or part of him is the hunter and part of him is the victim and I'm the mama bear who's standing in between and saying, don't you come near my cub. Okay. I'm going to protect my cub at all costs. And while I am talking harshly, it's only to a part of him. It's the part of him that's beating himself up.
0: So you're, okay. So I see that. So then you're kind of um, matching the intensity of the of the uh, hunter, in a, as a way of like showing to in the, an oppositional to, to, way to show the client yes. of this is what it takes to yes. not to overcome this, and yes. it's okay to feel okay. Yes, because to them they've been victimized so much internally yep. that it seems normal, that's yep. natural. So they have you're like joining. It's kind of like saying you are not going to beat up my friend. Exactly, it's,
1: it's
2: that is it, Ingo. That's okay. that's it.
1: Do you find that this IFS kind of parts talk works really well with this kind of thing? Initially,
2: I'm trying to make the person aware of what they're doing to themselves. They're, they don't typically... they. It's funny how people talk in parts language without actually thinking about it in parts language. You know, people are familiar with the little, you know, the angel and the devil on their shoulder. Yeah. And I'll talk about that sometimes too. And... Yet there is this person in the middle who's getting the input, but when they have, you know, sometimes we'll ask our clients, I'm sure you guys have done this too, you know, when you talk that way about yourself, does that remind you of anyone? Have you ever heard that kind of talk directed at you in your history? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that was my dad's voice. Well, was my mom's voice oh that was my school teacher from third grade or you know that was my older brother or, you know they they all sometimes they know exactly where that voice came from who yeah. gave them that feedback mm-hmm. and sometimes they actually even hear it in the tone and timber of that voice yeah yeah amazingly enough they're carrying around this model in their head that regularly repeats to them those things so we think well, you know, okay, you know, you think about your client, go, the dad said that to his son 30 years ago. Yeah. Like, what the heck? No, he didn't say it 30 years ago. He said it this morning
1: okay. In his head. In his head. All and it was reinforced when he spilled his coffee. Exactly. Like, you fucking idiot. I can't believe he did this. Exactly. Again. Yeah. yeah. Or when he stubbed his toe or yeah. yeah, whatever it might be. Yep.
0: So so okay, so I have definitely worked with clients and asked that questions and every once in a while someone will say I have no idea whose voice that right. is. Right. And we try to explore and find mm-hmm. find that voice and and so a lot of yep. times in those cases we can't figure out who it is. Yep. So what happens in those cases?
2: Well, whether it has an identified source or not, the fact is when it's you telling it to you, the identified source is still you. I see. Your dad didn't just tell you this morning that you were a jerk because you, yeah. you know, knocked your coffee over. You told you that. You may think of it as being your dad, or you may just think of it as gospel truth, and you're not even going to question it. Of course you are, because mm-hmm. you knew you were, and that's just one more piece of evidence to put in this huge stockpile of evidence that you are in fact incapable of doing the things that everybody else for everybody else it's easy
1: I find too like um, quick aside I I enjoy baking I'm a baker Mm. and one of the things I learned a couple years ago I remember watching this video of this guy and he was talking about the way to, to add crustiness to a bread if you guys have any guess what's required add moisture very good, yeah. Use steam, yeah. And I remember thinking, like, what the hell? Why would you use steam to make something crustier, have a thicker crust to it? I don't know why you knew that, but um... well, my dad is, uh, is a baker. Okay, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. you that. but you know that the that things was we learned yeah. but, just listening to
2: a little talk.
1: But then the um, the what he said is, yeah, that's how it works. Get over it. And I think that there's some elements of like, oh, I lost my train of thought here. There's Oh, the, some clients I think personally I've noticed will get stuck on this idea as like, where did this thing come from? Like, what was the trauma that I went through? What? Did, there mm. must be a better explanation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I, what I feel like I have to do is I have to mm-hmm. be like, get over the idea that there is an explanation, mm-hmm. and that's just something that you're suffering with. Yep. Now, as personally, as somebody who would probably qualify himself as an ACT therapist, I would then go to like, so how long have you been struggling with that? How is mm. that working for you? Mm. You talking to yourself in this kind of sure. way? But it starts with what you're saying, which is, like, you have to bring maybe a sense of, like, I would even imagine, like, emotion to the room on your part to be like, this is the real problem here. You think you're a failure, but this is the real problem. Hmm. And you could just kind of say it, but I think you got to, like, turn the screw into them and really make it hurt for them to feel like this is the problem.
2: I think of it sometimes as I am trying to pry the glasses off of their face, off of their eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'll sometimes tell my clients a a story about this woman who was super critical of her neighbor's capacity to do her laundry. Um, They didn't have dryers back then, and they would hang their stuff out on the line. And every morning she'd complain to her husband as they were having breakfast about the neighbor who did such a poor job of, of washing her laundry and would be highly critical of it. And then one day the wife was like, somebody must have talked to her because finally she is washing her sheets, right? They are finally come clean. And the husband goes, "Uh, yeah, I washed the windows yesterday.
1: Really? Interesting.
2: If you think about it, people have looked through that lens for so long, they think that they're seeing reality.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But none of us are seeing and reacting to anything except through a filter of our own history, our own values, our own impressions. We don't react to what people intend. We react to our perceptions. And that's for all of us. That's not a critique. That's just a simple fact that we need to embrace. And so, if you the first step to that kind of healing is to get them to recognize that they are seeing through lenses. Lenses are actually meant. They all of us who wear glasses, they're actually distorting reality. That's mm-hmm. their job.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: They're supposed to be distorting reality because our own lenses are distorting reality in a different way. Yeah. So I've got to get them to take their glasses off and recognize that they have to depersonalize it in a sense. They have to take the glasses off so that they can look at the glasses. If what I'm going to do is work with the 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 bend that their glasses are causing in their lives, they first have to recognize they're wearing glasses. I think most people go through life without even recognizing that they're wearing glasses. Mm-hmm. And so they don't question their glasses because they've never taken their glasses off. They have only seen the world through their glasses. And so I've got to get them to take the glasses off, recognize that there are glasses, not feel bad about that. We all wear glasses. Okay. Now that we know that we're wearing glasses, now we have some power because before we were powerless, the only way we could change was if the world changed. People come in here and they want to complain about their lives. But I I can't change your wife. She isn't even in the room. I can't change the economy. I can't change who's president. I can't change, you know, who your neighbor is. I, yeah. w- I don't understand. What, what do you want me to do for you, man? Well, there actually is a lot I can do. Which but is, it, it, it has uh, to do with the lens.
1: And I'm sorry, but sorry to cut you off, but like it's funny because I think what most clients come in here for is they don't look for how to cope. Teach me how to cope with these things. Hmm. I want to do some deep breathing. I want to do whatever it is. And I'm not a big fan of that because really, the more valuable thing is, no. I'd rather change your perspective on yourself. Yes, that seems to be, and and how to learn to live with difficulty. Absolutely. Um, and going back to what you were saying too, yeah. like a, 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 um, a metaphor I like to think about sometimes is like you, if you have an injury on your leg, like if you have a bike hmm. accident and then you go to the hospital, you point at your leg and you say, "Take care of this thing, please mm-hmm. do that." But then when it comes to ourselves. We don't have the ability to say, man, there's this part of me that really hates myself. Mm. And it feels like everything that people say to me is just uh, another log on the fire to show Mm -hmm. that I'm a failure. And we don't go into counseling saying, get rid of this thing. Like we do an injury on our leg. But that's what we do. And I feel like sometimes we have to advocate for the person to see it that way. As as opposed to them being like, no, 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 I just need to learn how to cope with the injury, Mm -hmm. right, and we're like, why would you do that, you know, Mm -hmm. you're just, you know, you can Google search how to do these things, you don't need me for that, what I can do is help get to know you and point these things out to Mm -hmm. you, too. and it sounds like the difference, I think, between therapists then is like, how do you approach that, or what exactly does that kind of person need to, which leads me to want to ask, how do you address shame, how do you help people overcome some of these struggles that they have?
2: Well, if the person i i think that therapy not therapy relationships when you go back to um carl rogers and a personalized person focused therapeutic approach which eft actually is they build off of rogers we're thinking about how others have spoken to us things they have said things that they have done especially early on Later on, things that we have done, that we talk to ourselves about, the fact is, we have been informed in ways that sustain shame. Create it and sustain it. I'm offering corrective emotional experiences. And they will begin to reshape the person's view of self, of others, of the world. Because in the same way that people have held up distorted mirrors, we get to hold up mirrors too. We all, we're all we all doing that to everyone around us all the time, right? Whether we want to or not, again. Mm-hmm. Sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. Sometimes we hold up one mirror, but again, like we've observed with shame, shame can distort what they see. Yeah. You can do something with a great intention if their interpretation, you know, if I'm complimenting my friend from back in, college if I complimented him too much he didn't change his view of self he changed his view of me (laughs) I was now manipulating him those were false compliments he told me about his marriage he would wake up every morning and roll over in bed and literally be surprised that his wife hadn't left him that blows my mind because I grew up in a very secure home, mm-hmm. stable. I got lots of love. I got lots of affirmation. My view of self was not was largely built, not destroyed by my relationship with my parents. But I know that that's a minority out there at least a min- certainly a minority of the you know we have a small sample size that's kind of skewed when we yeah. think about uh, yeah. doing therapy work. But boy, those people have been through hell and many of their family lines have been marked by their own forms of hell. And, Mm -hmm. you know, their parents may have been doing the best thing they could. But I offer them in some ways almost a reparenting experience. Oh, interesting. I offer them a chance to see themselves through a different set of eyes. You think about how many people, when you ask them about who was most impactful in your life, they'll often go, like, my fourth grade English teacher.
0: Yeah.
2: And you go, well, what about your fourth grade English teacher? She had, like, 40 kids to take care of. She never knew you the year before, and you never saw her again in your life. Like, what was that? She saw something in my writing or in me she treated me in a way I had never been treated. She valued my input. She spoke to me in a positive, affirming way mm-hmm. and was encouraging. And I saw myself in a way that I had never seen myself before. And it's made all the difference.
1: It goes back to that that phrase of like... it people remember not what you say, but how you make them feel. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think you're right. Like a lot of times we'll have teachers or an aunt or something yeah. like that, where we say like every time I was around them, they just seemed to be okay with however I was, or they seem yep. to bring up the best in me too. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. So I offer them this kind of an experience of seeing themselves in a different way. And in some ways I have to, maybe at the beginning I do that in a more like aggressive way. Cause I'm trying yeah. to pry the glasses off their face So that they can recognize that there is a different way of seeing themselves than that voice that keeps screaming at them. Um, I remember one of my clients is so stuck in this regard. And so we had to develop a playful way to make him aware. So at the beginning, maybe first time, second time, I did the aggressive thing. Ever since then, we've played that I, I used to have in a bowl in my office, I had jelly beans. And this person loved jelly beans and was constantly, you know, I had to replenish my bowl after every session. But um, I would, I would jokingly reach over and grab a jelly bean and say, "I'm going to throw this at your forehead if you, if you speak evil of yourself <laughs> yeah. again." And then it just became imaginary. And so I just he'd be talking away about something and he'd say, you know, because I never do anything right anyway, and I'd just go, "Doink," <laughs> and he'd go, "Oh." Oh, yeah, I just did it again.
1: He didn't even know he was doing it. Yeah,
2: Didn't even know he was doing it. He was speaking the truth. He was just making an observation. Just a fact. And I would just have to doink him to make him, hey, I just did that thing again. And now it's to the point where we'll be talking and he'll say it and then he'll go doink and he'll throw a jelly bean at his own forehead as he has begun to catch himself to perceive when he does it. Because he used to never perceive it. First, he thought it was just truth. Then he knew that it was just a bad, toxic habit. Mm -hmm. And then he's getting to a point where he can now catch himself and rephrase it, go back and state it in a different way. It's a slow process. This is like putting braces on your teeth. Mm -hmm. Your teeth didn't get all twisted out of shape in a day, and they're not going to get back in place in a day. No. So that's a lot of what therapy looks for looks like for working with that
1: i find it takes a lot of like Mm -hmm. um persistence on it like you can't just talk about it i I find the more a person is thinking about it or even if they say i sometimes ask people like can you go three times this week at the end of your day write down did i struggle with feeling like anxious or down and then say Mm -hmm. almost every time there's this component of like i hated myself Yep. And then we could say, how would you rethink that? Or how yep. would you say that to a friend? Yep. And that seems, I think just doing it again and again. And this is why I think there's some approaches to therapy that require a lot of homework. Because mm-hmm. one hour once a week is not mm-hmm. sufficient oftentimes to change those kinds of beliefs. Mm-hmm. Or if they could talk to their friends about it or their family. Mm-hmm. I, have you noticed this as well? Yes, these things.
2: absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the, the flip side of that as well is that You know, sometimes we'll talk about the need to set boundaries or even eliminate toxic people from your life Mm -hmm. because, you know, he can come in here and I can give him a positive emotional experience, but then he goes home and he gets five a day of negative ones. And pretty soon it's like, you know, I have clients, I say, you need to have a serious talk with your mom or your dad or your whoever and say, you can't talk to me that way anymore. Yeah. Because I do a lot of couples work, it's often the spouse, and I go. You just need to say, I I have a, a client whose, ex, he he goes over to watch the kids. They're they're now divorced.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He goes over to watch the kids, and whenever she frustrates him in any way, she'll say. That's why I divorced you. Right there in front of the kids, in front of anybody, just a body slam. Wow. And we said, you know, you need to go have a talk with her. She cannot talk to you that way. Mm-hmm. You're already separated, you're divorced, it's done deal. You're now, we got to take care of the kids. And every time they watch you body slam him, they're learning how to both parent and treat friends. Mm -hmm. spouses in the future Mm -hmm. you can expect to hear echoes of that coming back
1: yeah you're going to say something go
0: yeah i was thinking while you guys were talking i have found with some people and it tends to be highly successful people i've worked with Mm. they have figured out a way to use their shame as a way to propel themselves forward and there is a huge amount of fear that if they address that they will no longer have their superpower Yes. And I'm wondering like how do you how do you deal with that? Oh,
2: man, that that's a great observation and go cuz it is absolutely true. Some of the most successful people and we you know, it's always surprising you know, I'm sure you guys have seen interviews of famous people, especially mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry, yep. where they just look so perfect, you know, all made up and all and then they'll be in an interview and they'll be like oh no no i'm there they look almost like an anorexic mm-hmm. saying that you know i'm fat and you're going what do you mean you're fat you're you not fat yeah they've got that view of self that overwhelms any amount of evidence you hold in front of them mm-hmm. and you're right because that is one of the there's a thing called the shame compass mm-hmm. um a researcher um Nathanson is his name, and the Shame, the Compass of Shame, talks about different reaction patterns to the presence of shame. And one of those is really kind of distracting yourself, or um, sometimes that could be one way that you would get a, a very successful person. You might also get a perfectionist who allows the shame to be the wolf behind them that chases them towards perfection to try to silence the shame. If I can run fast enough, the wolf can't catch me.
1: I see. It's setting a standard, an impossible one. Yes, Yes,
2: it's an impossible standard, but it is, you will never get off that treadmill. So they'll come to our office and they are exhausted Mm -hmm. or they are the highly successful person who is literally on the brink of suicide and you're going like what like Mm -hmm. you've got everything oh no i still don't have enough i still i can't sustain this i am exhausted will somebody turn the treadmill off Mm -hmm. i am about to collapse here and have a heart attack i can't do this they're
1: not sleeping they're not eating yes they can't They're working
2: way unreasonable number of hours, which, of course, the company applauds and gives them more money for and promotes them and all that stuff, you know. And you see, this is fear. This is fear. They are trying to silence their own shame gremlins by dumping water on them which doesn't work real well because they just multiply. Yeah, like the movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't feed them after midnight or something. Don't, yes.
2: (laughs) And it just keeps going. And and you have to say to them, your abilities, your skills, your qualities are not going to go away if you accept, if you have some self-compassion you are actually going to be a richer your life will look different yeah you probably won't work 14 hours a day because you won't need to work 14 hours a day you already don't need to from a financial perspective you're highly successful you won't need it from a whole bunch of what normally drives people mm-hmm. but you'll be able to be at peace with yourself yeah can you look in the mirror and say, it is well with my soul.
1: I think a hard thing that a lot of people have is like they're scared. Yes. Well, if I do do that, life's going to be different and I won't be able to handle it. Yep. Or I've been doing this way and it's been working my whole life. Are yep. you sure if I did that? Yep. I'm afraid I'll lose my job. Or yep. what if my wife leaves me or something like that?
2: No, your wife will actually stay with you. Right now she's going to leave you because yeah. she never sees you.
1: But I, right. The way I like to think of it too is like we can't make promises. Hmm. Which is like I could say... I'm like 99% sure your life's gonna be better and your wife's gonna love you more and your kids are gonna be happier and you're gonna sleep better. But like there's a chance that some things can change and there's nothing I can say that can get rid of that risk. You have to accept that when you make this change, you don't know, otherwise you would have done it without me. You don't need me. Otherwise you would have figured this out, but you're scared. And this, it's almost like there's like a little exposure talk that could be useful here. It's like, mm-hmm. this isn't about thinking anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to make mm-hmm. that change. I'm guessing that's yep. an important component in mm-hmm. managing shame, too, is mm-hmm. changing. Maybe, like you said, setting boundaries or how you talk to people, mm-hmm. even if they don't feel right on the inside. If they just go do it, then eventually they, they sometimes feel differently, too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is hard because they will their life will look different. Yes. And they will wrestle with, they're already, of course, even in thinking about it, they're already wrestling with how it might look different. Yeah. But in some ways, I have to help them focus on what they're missing and not what they're getting they're getting relief from their fears on a very temporary basis. They got to do it again tomorrow and another again tomorrow and again tomorrow, right? But typically, they will begin to recognize, I I will literally have this talk with my clients and say, so why are you doing all of this? What do you mean? My job demands this of me. You are the first person there and the last person to leave. I don't think your job is demanding this. How come everybody else didn't get the memo? Yeah. No, your job does not demand this of you. Well, um, isn't the whole point of all of this is so that you have conditions, resources to enjoy your family, to enjoy the things that all of this hard work gave you? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You're never using it you're not enjoying it
0: no.
2: your family doesn't even know who you are you see your kids maybe for a few hours on a weekend
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you know what I'm saying is true mm-hmm. I'll sometimes be in the middle of doing couples counseling and because their life outside is still going on I'm yeah. doing couples counseling and the guy will come in and he's all excited because he just got a promotion mm-hmm. I'll go really really you want me to be excited with you, I suppose. <laughs> I'm not really excited with you because, mm. like, you're here doing couples counseling because you and your wife don't get along. You don't know each other. You haven't seen each other. And now – and just let me ask you a question. Think of in your company from the position that you're now going to be starting and above, are any of the people who hold those positions on their first marriages – and their eyes will get a <laughs> good big. question yeah their eyes will get real big like oh dang <laughs> i go of course they're not because the price you got to pay to be one of those people hmm. is incompatible with this other thing that you say you want this is like the mafia you want to be a head of the mafia you got to kill a few people <laughs> yeah you know you just can't do it you can't climb those ladders without paying those prices. That's the price of admission. Yeah. So what are you going to do? This is the thing you're missing. Oh. Can you make the choice to be less rich than you could have been?
0: So this goes back to oh, maybe 30 minutes ago when you talked about the glasses. Yeah. You're giving people the choice to wear those glasses or not wear them. Yes. And where maybe before they came into your office, they had no idea they even had any glasses No.
2: Nope. They just want to cope, to use John's thing. Yeah. Help me ah. cope with the stress. And then you say, well, you know, you could do this. You could do, I don't have any time to do those things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brother.
1: Okay, so you want to cope, but you don't want to spend the time. And what you're saying to me sounds, like I said, I, I would qualify myself as an ACT therapist, acceptance and commitment mm-hmm. therapy. And one of the yeah. things that they think about is creative hopelessness. The idea mm. of like, it sounds like a lot worse than it is but it's a, as you know like it's the idea of i'm going to try to show you that the option that you've been doing over and over and over again isn't working yeah and if you if you want to if you want to keep going down that road i like to say you don't need me right, right. like you could you don't you came here cuz you want mm-hmm. things to be different but they want but then when you point out to them i think it's because you really hate yourself or you have these beliefs about yourself that Mm-hmm. that just create all this shame we'll say no 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 i don't know or that's not how it's been or it's gotten me to where i am yep. and we have to say like what's well, fine but then why are you here well because i feel miserable i'm anxious all the time i'm I'm sad i can't sleep at night so it's like we you kind of have to say if you want to feel better you may have to put this other thing down and it's almost like it's almost there i feel like most people are like really connected to it they don't want to put it down it isn't yep. like going back to what I was saying, with was like an injury on my leg. You yep. can say like, point at that thing and tell a nurse, mm-hmm. get that thing sewn up because I want to get back to my life. But it's almost like we have to wrestle with these people to get them to do that. And actually, I want to ask both of you a question here too. Mm. Something that I find is when I'm trying to talk to people in this kind of way, I'll think like sometimes in an attachment perspective or just try to be a supportive person for them. And I, if I feel like there's a genuine compliment I can give, and it has to be genuine, mm-hmm. I'll say it, but very often the response I get is, "You're just my therapist, and you're getting paid to say things like this." Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you guys say to those kinds of ideas if you if you hear them.
0: If they say that 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 I'm just getting paid to say these, yeah. uh, I I tell people, you know what? You're paying me for my skill, not not to care. Mm -hmm. You can't pay me to care about you.
1: That's similar to what I say. Yeah, I like um,
0: that. But. Man, it's almost like people take the shame and it becomes their identity. Yes. And it's like they can't escape the example of... If it's
2: not their identity, it's not shame. That's what shame is.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's like... Shame
2: correlates in the research. Shame correlates with all of the worst behaviors out there. Really? All of them. Drug use, alcoholism, divorce um running a sexual abuse what what was that running a a podcast
0: (laughs) (laughs) being on a podcast coming (laughs) coming on as a guest all of the worst
2: here's the here's even more interesting fact guilt is inversely correlated
1: really huh so guilt is almost healthy
2: guilt is healthy yeah it tells you you did something wrong it's like you know having sense in your uh, sense i mean like a tactile sense that tells you that you just kick something so you don't do it again. It's protective. It's hurt. It hurts, but you go, Oh, okay. Don't do that again. That was dumb. Okay. Next time I'll do it this way. It promotes learning. It promotes change. Guilt is positively correlated. It helps people change. <laughs> But they have to have underneath that a sense that they are not the sum of their mistakes.
0: Hmm. Well, I was going to say your favorite subject. I, <laughs> I feel like you're in some way the Catholics have something right with the with the guilt and the confession. Like part of the confession seems like it's 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 to let go of some shame. He sh- can't shake He's shaking his head. No,
2: I am shaking my <laughs> head. No.
0: Okay, tell me.
2: Because. It is rooted in a view of a God, who stands up above with a frown on his face, constantly judging, saying, "You are not enough. You got to do uh-huh. more." And oh, you screwed up again. Well, climb on the treadmill and work it off, and then go work it some
1: more. Some more shame. Yep. I see. I wonder if even the concept of original sin view some shame too or can be the, the, yes. the fertile grounds to start yeah. like oh i'm a failure for many reasons i was even born a failure yeah you know?
2: yeah theoretically absolutely although i don't have people i don't i've not had clients who probably even understand enough about this <laughs> theological concept of original sin to ever make it personal mm-hmm. it is personal shame is personal it is about me different than everyone else Brene's first book that isn't very well known is what she wrote out of her shame research. And the name of it is I Thought It Was Just Me. Okay. And that book she borrowed from what her interview people were saying to her about shame. Mm. As soon as they started talking about shame and talking about the things that were inducing the shame, yeah. their common response was,
0: oh. oh
2: I thought it was just me. And that's what she named her book. <laughs> and that's what's what sprouted... You know, if you've read many of her books, there is a sequence to them. There's a development of concepts that go through it. But they all start with, I thought it was just me.
1: <clears throat> Which I think is like a very... I think what I'm hearing here, too, is like shame is the outcome of a negative perspective upon yourself, that you're a failure. Mm -hmm. At least like what this is what cognitive theorists would say is like, sure, you see yourself this way and then therefore you have this emotion that comes from it. Yes. And and behaviors. And the behavior, exactly. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And so, but it almost seems to me like much of treating shame is almost like really addressing many other forms of negative self-talk where it's all really the same thing it's just like shame just happens to be the one that you get because i think other people would feel very anxious or other people would feel Mm -hmm. very worthless or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be and what you're if i'm hearing this right it's about addressing the view of yourself and the beliefs that you have Mm -hmm. and trying to wrestle with them a little bit to get them to be able to put that down Mm -hmm. or at least try to converse, I don't know, do do something with it, see it as another mm-hmm. part that you're arguing with, mm-hmm. that it's a cognitive distortion, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, again, like, what are the things that you find to be most effective in getting people to kind of undo some of that thinking that they have?
2: I think it all starts from that, you know, unconditional acceptance, mm. you know? If you think about what the meaning of the word, you know, <clears throat> we're sitting in my office today and over my door... <clears throat> Is the word grace, Hmm. and I will say, I want this to be a room of grace, and the definition of the word grace is unmerited favor.
1: Do you think
2: about unconditional positive regard? Mm -hmm. Quote in Carl Rogers, that's what it is. I start with a very high view of people. And of humans, almost in an anti-original sin. I mean, I recognize an original sin from a judicial, legal, whatever you know, kind of a theology perspective. But I, I believe that people. I start my admitting my preconcepts. Um, I start believing that they want to do it right. They're doing the best they can. Given all of the limitations of their view of self, view of others, history, trauma, PTSD, naming what you will.
1: Personality they're... disorder?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: They're all trying. Yeah, and I think, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, is mm-hmm. like... I think people can be an alcohol, like you were saying, an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. They could be even like really mean, Mm -hmm. but there's usually some form. At least what I've found is there's usually some form of suffering underneath there Mm -hmm. that we can have compassion for. Yes, or what I think another word you're using is grace, and that seems to be transformative. There's something about when you go talk to professionals because through graduate school, this is what we learn: Mm -hmm. is like how do you be a good listener? How do you be? trying to be caring and trustworthy and trying Mm -hmm. to build up this relationship. And then all the self-talk stuff, I I think that kind of comes more naturally, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to come around if you don't have that sense of, like, I can, I can talk to Cameron because I know he's not going to judge me. He has grace towards me. Yes.
2: Yes. I have had clients that I have seen for over a year and who were, um, particularly ones who have, um, addiction issues. Yes. And, sometimes confessed and sometimes, you know, sometimes confessed in part, sometimes not confessed at all. And I have had a, a number of different occasions, clients who came in after more than a year of therapy and they said, well, you can just, they look like the, the dog that, you know, chewed the shoe that they weren't yeah. supposed to, right? Their yeah. tail is firmly wedged between their legs. And they say, uh, basically I'm coming today to say that, you know, I'm, I'm ending therapy, but I can't carry the weight of this anymore. So I'm going to let you know, I have been blowing smoke in your face for a year.
0: Wow. And then they leave
2: and I go, excuse me,
0: <laughs> are you thinking,
2: are, are you leaving because you want that lifestyle or cause you think I'm going to throw you out? well i would throw me out oh because you did this shameful thing right dude you don't seem to understand today is the day that we start therapy Mm
1: -hmm. this is not the day we end therapy
2: like no now you just told me that you've got cancer. You want to be treating your hangnail for the last year. Oh yeah. My hangnail's not right. And I'm working on his hangnail. And then he goes, Oh, by the way, you know, I, I didn't tell you, but you know, I've been coughing up blood or something, you know, and you're mm-hmm. like, well, let's get right on that then. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? I'm not going to throw you out. That's why we're here. No. Yeah. And that is their active vulnerability which probably took the full year of relationship building for them to get to a point where they felt like they could say the worst thing about them in their opinion and hmm. they still don't aren't convinced that I'm going to accept them yeah but they can't carry the weight of of feeling like they are deceiving me. They they have now come to value our relationship enough that the more the relationship is healthy, the more guilty they feel, the more shame filled they actually feel because they know they're convinced that what I love is their mask and not them.
0: Oh, I see. Because they don't let people see behind the mask. right?
2: You. And they take off the mask in this really disbelief that anyone can love them without the mask. That's the deep healing.
1: And I think like the frame this in the way that John thinks is you spent a year with this person building a stable attachment figure for them Hmm. and then through that time they've whether consciously or unconsciously, been poking at you yep. to see how you respond. If I do yep. this, what is he going to do? They're waiting to see if you're going to run away or raise your eyebrows or get yep. mad. Yep. And what you've done is be consistent to the point where they just say, should I say it? Should I say it? Oh, shit, here it is. And right. they just say, I got to quit because you can't actually take me. Right, and I'm then too much for you. You you could, you could pass those tests, but right. you can't pass this one. Right. And then what you showed is like, that's nothing here that let's actually get moving with this kind of thing too yeah and it's so i'm sure for this person it is and for many other people yeah when they open up i think this has been the case yep. when especially people share about like sexual assault survivors yeah you know it's to say like if i tell you this surely you're going to think of me or
2: imagine this sexual assault perpetrator
1: exactly yeah <laughs> right. you're going to see me as a monster yep. right and then to have some ability to be like i'm actually still really okay with you i'm in fact i want to i want to learn more about this yeah is so it can be so transformative and healing to even more than words we can say
2: what if there is a place that the worst about us can be known and we can be loved more for having revealed it and not judged and not run out of the room with your hair on fire
1: and that's what you try to make your profession yeah. your job yeah absolutely powerful
0: well i have a question and i don't know how much further we're going with this but i think we're getting towards I, I, a good spot yeah yeah so i i have a question because people who listen to this podcast are may or may not have bought into therapy as a as a, as a treatment source right so um of course we in the room think it's fantastic right <laughs> <laughs> i'm so so i mean if you're going to see john I, you probably want to you know get a few other referrals strongly uh, rethink just, it just yes in case. but in lieu of like coming to see you directly right which you what could someone possibly do to work on this bef- without having to step in? Is it possible? Like you're the listener at home goes, uh, okay, I, I've recognized from this hour of conversation, I have immense shame. Right. And I need to address it. Like what can they do right now at home that would begin the process of healing potentially? Does it require a therapist um, in the early stages? What, I mean, any thoughts on practical kind of, Um,
2: No, it does not require a therapist. And despite the fact that I am a professional therapist, I think there are very few things that actually do require a professional therapist. Mm -hmm. I think that we do things in a more concentrated, focused, maybe informed way because we spent the time to read the book and look at the research and acquire the skills. But honestly, we're doing things that healthy people ought to be doing for other people all the time. Mm -hmm. Healthy community ought to be doing this and probably at some point in history did much better. And I think that the proliferation of therapist is just a it's kind of a thermometer on the sickness of society but now i'm going off topic <laughs> the, the point is i do don't i do think that you can address it i would actually go so far as to say that some therapist will make your shame increase
0: wow why would they do that
2: well if the therapist, especially, and, okay, I'm making a judgment statement. I think that there are, I was going to name a particular class of therapists, but we'll leave them unnamed. I think that there are therapists who are like, this is just simple. All you do is you change this and you change <laughs> this and then you do this and I'll go home and do it.
1: I think I know what you're talking about, but yeah.
2: And it's very behavioral. It's very, it's very formulaic Mm -hmm. and because that formula is read or looked at through the lens that still hasn't changed, you're never going to do it. If you could have done it, you would have already done it. Mm -hmm. No, the lens is distorted. Anything you put in front of them, give them a book, give them homework. They will go home and they will come back to you and say i knew it i i wow other people can do it i can't do it yep i'm just uniquely broken
1: my therapist even tried to help me and i couldn't even figure that out
2: can you imagine i did two years of therapy i Mm -hmm. spent i even the best professionals can't fix me i am beyond hope you what like he told me I was supposed to stop having that thought. I'm still throwing jelly beans at my forehead. What? I am just such a hopeless person.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> no, I think honestly there are there and any therapist who gets frustrated with their client's lack of progress is going to contribute to that.
0: Mm-hmm that makes sense and that's
1: I, not that's not unconditional positive regard then. no I'm, I'm okay with you if you are changing exactly and working on yourself
2: exactly and if not it stirs up shame in me mm-hmm. that's what happens that's, you don't do your own work mm-hmm. you do you give others work
1: and a long time ago we talked about counter-transference and that's what mm, that yeah. is is the idea of like i'm getting mad at you for my own feelings about this because you should be progressing or Exactly. I have a formula that if you follow, you should feel better. That means you're not doing it. So there's a problem and with And I don't
2: you. know anything else to give you. This is my best stuff. Yeah. And you're still not changing? Oh, my gosh. gosh. Now I'm afraid my mask is going to come off. Mm-hmm. I gave you the best pill in the bottle.
1: I'm a fraud. Yeah. I'm a fraud. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes therapists wow. can think that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: No, I think there's a lot of therapy that is, is actually going to produce shame, not relieve it.
0: So this is like um, one of those scenarios, like if you want to learn how to play piano, you could go see a teacher, which would be like someone like us who gives knowledge and guidance Mm -hmm. and helps you see the way more clearly, perhaps. But you could just as easily go on YouTube, like example nowadays, and learn how to play piano that way. It might be more difficult. It could be more challenging. It might take longer. but. So the, the the path for someone who's looking at addressing shame might be similar to yours, like reading some books about, yeah. like from Brene Brown, listening to some podcasts, mm-hmm. things like this. Absolutely, journaling, maybe going through a twelve step yep. evaluation, that yep. kind of thing. Setting boundaries with
2: toxic people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Learning to listen to your self talk is just one of the biggest ones. Okay. Can I hear what I am saying to me? That's prying the glasses off your face and going, oh. That's me looking through my glasses. That's not the world as it Mm -hmm. absolutely is. Right. And to recognize I can change my glasses. It, it, my favorite illustration for my, what my job is. I say this to my clients quite frequently. I am like a personal trainer. Mm. You can go to the gym. You can work out. You might, strain a muscle you might not progress as fast and probably you're gonna go about a week and then you're not gonna go anymore yeah (laughs) right right. you're gonna go back to your old pattern yeah you're gonna go back to your old self-talk i'm a personal trainer i can't do the work for you but i can tell you what you need to do how you need to lift. Oh, not like you do that very many times. You're going to pop a muscle or pop a vertebra. or mm-hmm. You know, no, 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 no. Not like that. Here, hold it like this. But you've got to do the work at best. What I do is a personal trainer.
1: That's powerful. I like to think too, like when people are, if you can really open up to people that you care about and they disagree with how you see yourself, I feel like mm-hmm. alarm should be going off. Mm-hmm. Like I opened up to my my whatever my cousin and then they said, you know hey, you're kind of hard on yourself. And mm-hmm. if we say no, I'm not, I'm just how I need to be. Yeah I feel like that should be a, to go back to your questioning go mm-hmm. personally as like that should be a sign that like mm-hmm. something funky's going on. The people mm-hmm. who care about me see me different from how I see myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think going back to your point it's like we don't as therapists, we don't need to be in a person's life. We just take the issue and we press it hard mm-hmm. and we don't let people leave until they're done. Mm -hmm. we're i mean uh, done with therapy until i feel convinced that you see yourself in a healthier way Now, Mm -hmm. i think friends and family they might do that in a much Mm -hmm. much weaker way Mm -hmm. but we're going to do it with concerted effort and like you're saying we're just a concentrated form of that we're healthy healthy listeners we care and we're hopefully transparent and honest which i think many people can be those things too it doesn't have to be us absolutely
2: Yeah. So, guys, it has been wonderful being here with you.
1: Anything else you want to add, Cameron? Yeah. Bodies? Before we
0: wrap up the show, anything oh. that we haven't? No. Your perspective is is very interesting and unique, and I think that this is a subject that people of all ages and walks of life struggle with. You know, and yes. like we said earlier, in most some of the most successful people in the world have the most shame. You know, yep. and it's a driving factor. Yeah. And um, you know, I know, I know that like I'm a musician, I've, I've read things from and some of the most famous musicians are balls of anxiety and shame yep. and, and guilt and yep. you know it's like they, they struggle even to get on stage but when yeah. they're on the stage yep. you never know. Yep. You know so
2: Yeah. I, I don't think that it is perchance that there is so much alcohol and drug use in that community. Yeah. Because they're medicating their shame. That does make a lot of sense. And it 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 is and we will all medicate our shame in one way or another. Sometimes it will be through hiding. Sometimes it will be through ignoring. Sometimes it will be through bullying. I'm going to I'm gonna tell you you're worse than I am. I need you to be horrible so that I don't have to look at my own horribleness. If I can lower you, then I can lower the standard. Yeah. There's just all kinds of unhealthy reactions to shame. It is toxic in all its
0: forms. Agreed. So for the listener, if you have questions, maybe for Cameron or for us regarding this subject or otherwise, please uh, send us a message to questions at drinksandtrinks.com. And uh, that has been another edition of this fine podcast. Uh, My name is Engel Weigel. I'm John Decker. And I'm Cameron Young.
1: And we'll see you guys next time. Later, peeps.